Hello listeners, it's Neil here. Welcome back to the Cephi podcast. Today we're joined by aerospace engineering educator Gillian Saunders-Smith from TU Delft in the Netherlands. She shares her extensive experience in teaching and researching communication skills as part of one of Europe's largest engineering education projects. She stresses that we must teach students the fundamentals and breaks down what these are and shares with us some key interventions. Welcome to the European Engineering Educators podcast by CEFI, the European Society for Engineering Education. Our mission is to develop and improve engineering education and strengthen its image in society. So Neil, I've got some experience in teaching communication skills across different year groups, really, from foundation year level to master's and some of my PhD students. Yeah. Um, generally, this in- includes report writing, presenting to sort of different audiences. But I do find there's a lot of resistance to from mm. students to being taught communication skills. What What about you? Yeah, I mean, like you, I mean, I've coached people in communication skills and helped them improve writing skills, correct presentations and so on. Um, Mm. I mean, for me, I'm always conscious of the potential biases against students during assessments, you know, due to class or culture. And I think that sometimes can be due to differences in communication styles and and the institutional norms. Mm. So, So I think that raising communication skills to a professional standard could make our education outcomes more equitable as well as addressing these industry needs for for better communication skills in graduates. Hi Gillian, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi Natalie, hi Neil, thank you very much for having me. So Gillian Saunders-Smith is an Associate Professor at the Faculty of Mechanical Engineering in the Cognitive Robotics Department at Delft University of Technology. She has a master's degree in aerospace engineering from Delft University of Technology, Faculty of Aerospace Engineering in the Netherlands, and a PhD in aerospace engineering education from the same institute. She has over 20 years of experience in teaching a variety of engineering courses, and her research interests are in engineering education, focusing on robotics, skills and competencies, and project and problem-based learning. She was an investigator in the European Prefer project, which brought several universities together to reduce the gap between engineering graduate skills and industry needs. And within this, she developed several tools and interventions used by universities across the world. So Gillian, I'm always really interested in people's journeys. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about how and why you became interested in researching skills and competencies specifically. Um, So what happened was that I initially worked for Shell as an engineer after graduation, but it wasn't for me. Um, I really like making the best possible product, and that's not always possible within the constraints of a commercial company. So I went back to university to actually work out what I really wanted to be when I grew up. And as such, I was asked to uh, stay on as a lecturer. And then that ever overarching topic of then if you want to stay in academia, you have to get a PhD. I really wanted to do a PhD on something that would be relevant for my work, which was teaching. And uh, this is where I met uh, Professor Eric de Graaf, uh, Mm -hmm. who uh, is a CEFI fellow and Mm -hmm. and has been a CEFI vice president over the years. And he said, well, why don't you come and do a PhD in engineering education with me? And the rest, as they say, is history. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is also how I got into skills and competency. Yeah, sure. So Gillian, you're from TU Delft University of 
Technology and it's founded in 1842 and is the oldest and largest public technical university in the Netherlands and one of the top 10 engineering and technology universities in the world. So as well as being one of the largest departments in the world, TU Delft is very active in engineering education research. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about this? Uh, well, uh, as I said before, uh, I think the, the first steps towards the engineering education research base was started by Erik de Graaf. Yeah. And then when Eric left to go to Aalborg in, in Denmark, there was a, a sets of different uh, people uh, in different faculties still active on this. Yeah. So it's it has very been, much been a bottom-up approach. Uh, but over the last few years, our university is seeing the importance of engineering education, also very much helped by the Ruth Graham report. Hmm. Uh, so it has several uh, different institutes within TU Delft uh, or of which TU Delft is part uh, on engineering education. So for all the teachers, we have the teaching academy yeah. uh, where teachers meet and, and, and can experiment with their teaching. And then we have Delft is part of the 4TU Center of Engineering Education, which okay. means that we collaborate with the four technical universities of the Netherlands, Wageningen, wow. Delft, Twente and Eindhoven. Yeah. And we do research that fits within their goals. Um, you mentioned something called the Ruth Graham Report. Could you uh, just tell us a bit more about that? Um, Ruth Graham has, has, has written several reports, but the one I'm referring to is where uh, she looked at who were the leaders uh, in the world uh, for engineering education. And uh, four universities were named in that report, one in Singapore, one in Australia, UCL in London and Delft. Yeah. And as part of, of that report, it was also very clear that if you want to innovate in engineering education, you need to do so on a research-based and evidence-based. Yeah. So her report basically gave our university agencies, I think, to act and, and start developing these things. So one of the big pieces of work that you've done is this PREFER project where um, you looked at transversal competencies in, in building up um, this engineering education uh, research base. Could you tell us a bit more about what we mean by transversal competencies? So transversal competencies uh, are defined as skills, values and attitudes that are required for learners' holistic development and for learners to become capable of adapting to change. Okay. So that is a definition from yeah. a, a UNESCO document um, from 2016. And what I like about it is that it's about more than just skills. And it's also very much about values and attitude. So you, that you have to adapt to your environment yeah. that you're in and the people and the, uh, that you work with, um, the surroundings that you work with mm -hmm. uh, in view of sustainable development goals, for instance. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's why I really like that definition. And why are they important? I think they are the glue that holds an engineering curriculum together. Mm. I don't think that students do well if they just get taught a whole set of engineering courses and then we let them write a thesis and then we kick them out on the labor market to say, hiya, have fun, enjoy life. <laughs> right, yeah. And I remember this. When I worked for Shell, the first thing Shell did was put us through a boot camp because right. they had such a variety of universities. And in this boot camp, we had to learn how to present. We had to learn how to work uh, mm. together in teams. The team I was in the course with, I think, had 30 different nationalities yeah, mm. uh, and, and a whole variety of ages. 
Uh, and for some of them, it really was the first time they've ever worked in teams. Now, this is, of course, a very, very, very long time ago. We shall name names. But uh, <laughs> that, uh, uh, that sort of tells you at the time how industry felt that the first thing they did when they got graduates out of university was they put them on a boot camp to fix them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> To a certain extent, uh, that is really, you have to wonder if we did our job right. Mm, yeah. Communication competence is one of these transversal competencies. Um, and in your work, you break down this communication skill into several subskills, quality of presentation, adaptive style, self-confidence, English language, listening, writing, interconnection, interrelation, and pitching. Could you describe some of these in more detail and perhaps highlight which ones engineering students need more development on? Uh, yeah, sure. So when communication courses were first introduced, it tended to be how to write a report and how to yeah. give a presentation. <laughs> that, I think, is how most of these courses started. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, when uh, PowerPoint got first introduced into the world, oh, we can do more. Yeah. So that's where the initial things is. Um, but if you think about it, when my kids went to primary school, they had to do PowerPoint presentations. Yes. <laughs> so should we really still be teaching PowerPoint presentations or should we be teaching actually what is it that you are presenting and mm. how do you adapt to the audience? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also with our engineering degrees becoming more and more international in terms of their, their, their a more diverse and inclusive mix. How do you make sure that you don't refer to colloquialism so that people don't actually understand your message? Mm. So how do you adapt? This is where then the adaptive style comes into. Um, one of the things Siemens said was that the English language is really important. And yeah. whereas there have been other uh, cases where people said, isn't that racist to impose that on people? Mm. within Siemens, English is the working language. So mm. being able to speak English is very important. Yeah. At the same time, when talking to Siemens engineers, they also said, but if you are going to work locally for us, we work a lot with small and medium enterprises. Mm. That means you also work with people whose English isn't good enough and who would prefer to talk to you in their local language. Mm. So one of the things they said they would really like to see are international students who would like to stay in the Netherlands, for instance, to also learn Dutch because mm. it means that their employability goes up. Mm. Uh, and one of the other things that came out in communication is who do you communicate with? And it was, so that mm. was one of the overlaps between communication and teamwork. When we put students in teams, they're equal teams. They're all in the same year. They have the same set of knowledge. But when you, in reality, there's usually a senior engineer on the team. You also have to work with your client. There are technicians you have to work with. That requires a whole different form of teamwork. And there is already a certain natural hierarchy that you have to learn uh, how to work with. And that also requires an adaptation of your communication skills. And more importantly, that is where you really get to the listening of things. Yeah. One of the things when you get into a new situation as a young engineer, or as an engineering student, is that you have to listen to your surroundings hmm. to work out what people really want. And 
I think all of us will say students never listen. If you're a parent, you'll say children never listen. And if you're a child, you'll say my parents never listen. So listening is a universal skill (laughs) that needs improving. Yeah. So so, um, one of the the skills within this list uh, we tried to focus on was was listening skills. And we did that because we actually wanted to see if it was possible to make a really small intervention. Mm. and what the impact will be, right? That you don't have to change an entire engineering curriculum to make a small impact and a small improvement in someone's skill level. So, Gillian, it does seem to be sort of globally accepted for many years now that communication is a vital skill for engineers. Why then do you think that there still continues to be this reported gap between communication skills developed within education and those? in industry? I mean, we keep seeing this in sort of skills gap reports. I think it's uh, the issue lies on both sides. I understand that industry's bottom line is making money. So investing in training staff is therefore expensive. Mm-hmm. So it would be really nice if you can get this perfect graduate that fits your company like a glove. Mm-hmm. However, that is at odds with the, the mission we have as a university, which is to develop critical thinking, competent engineers. But it doesn't say that they have to particularly work for just one given company. So we train for a uh, Mm -hmm. much larger audience. So that gap, I think, will always exist. What you do see is that we need to move away from just teaching our students to write a good report and give a good presentation, to create more flexible students that that understand that they have to adapt their communication to the environment that they're in. Mm. And that agility in adapting your communication style and understanding your environment that you have to work in, that that is the challenge that we can still improve our education on. How do we teach our students that agility? Mm. Um, And I guess it shows that we need to sort of develop these skills long after leaving university. So how do you think we determine to what level or sort of mastery, as you refer to it in your work, we need to teach students up to within university? I think it very much depends on the focus of your degree and, and the learning outcomes that you want to reach. If I ask industry, they want everything at mastery levels because <laughs> then they don't have to do anything, right? Uh, so that's not going to happen. So <laughs> the thing what you really want to look at for is what is the basics? So for me, the basics is is that the students are at least aware of a certain phenomenon or skill that they need or an attitude that they need. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, some will already have these skills because they practice it in a different area outside the university, uh, Mm -hmm. for instance, because they are a scout leader or because uh, they have parents who run a company and they've already worked within companies. Mm. But I think the minimum level is awareness. And of course, uh, depending also on your, your specialization, there are a few that I think you do need to re- uh, have mastery levels in. Uh, for instance, I believe uh, it's fair for industry to expect the students can write a report. Mm-hmm. We are also expect them, I think it's fair to say, that they could at least work together with other people. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, there's there's different levels, and we also want to make sure students realize that they have development left to do. 
Mm-hmm. You know, our training didn't stop at university for us either. And I think having that agility in students that they can independently find other bases to learn and, and to acquire knowledge mm-hmm. and skills is, is also a very uh, vital uh, attitude, I would almost say, that we would like them to have when they leave. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, Gillian, so we had this um, idea of awareness as the sort of first level of uh, mastery. And then I suppose next would be just to practice it before you actually master the skill. And we talked about this university of life and the skills are acquired in, in both of those domains. So the question that I would have is, is how far do we go in engineering faculties to teach these skills? And when do we say the university of life can take over? Um, That's a a very good question. I think that really depends on the focus of uh, your degree, the limitations that you have. I mean, uh, one of the things I'm I'm currently trying to to look into is whether it's possible to set up using this instrument and uh, a whole set of uh, skills, uh, their definitions and the different mastery levels so that people can actually select what is it that when I redesign my course or redesign my curriculum, and ideally you want to do it more holistically from a curriculum point of view, yeah. so that not uh, five lecturers practice the same skill and other lecturers don't practice any skills <laughs> or other yeah. skills don't get practiced at all. Have the discussion. What is it that we 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 want our students to be able to do, and and have that beyond the container notions of entrepreneurial skills, lifelong learning skills, teamwork skills, communication skills. Go go the go the next level down. Define these skills. Uh, one of the things we also found in the research was very very few people actually define uh, what they mean by yeah. a term when they use skills. Define these skills and then define different outcome levels within these skills uh, and, and, and and evolve your stakeholders with that. That all sounds very fancy, but stakeholders, I mean, that is the students themselves. Yeah. I'm a very uh, firm believer in co-creation. The faculty, but also the wider world. Industry, but maybe also other stakeholders other than just industry. If you look at what does society expect from an engineer, mm. I really like that some of my colleagues, for instance, are now doing uh, real-world learning or service learning where they actually work with local communities to find technical solutions to the problems in those communities. Yeah. And and their expectations are, are very different mm. uh, than uh, industry is. Right. So in that sense... It's really, really important that you have the discussion as a as a teaching team. Why is it mm. that we want to go um, as a as a degree? Where is it mm. where we want to go? And perhaps even on an accreditation level, what is it that makes a good engineer? Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, you also don't want to over overburden things. Mm. So engineering, uh, the criteria should also not be too prescribing. It is not that if a student can't do a certain thing to a certain standard that they're a no. bad engineer. No. We all have our strong and our weak points. Mm. 
but they do need to have a certain level of awareness. And I think that's that's really where uh, I would like to start with this. And also look at what we are already doing that students aren't aware of. Because I am convinced that many of us, when we teach, already also secretly put in some skills training out. But we don't actually tell the students is, now I'm also teaching you to do this or do that. Because we think it's self-explanatory. Yeah. However, if you ask the students, we didn't. So from what you're saying, I think... You know, we must have this discussion with, with the various stakeholders, including accreditors, industry students and, and faculty, to understand what level of mastery we need in these skills. I know in your work, Gillian, that you looked at the priorities of skills, these communication skills and transversal skills, um, as stated by industry, and compared that uh, list of priorities with, um, with faculty and students. Could you tell us a bit more about that and perhaps highlight any commonalities or differences? Ooh, um, so one of the things that we, we did is we, we, we gave the list to uh, uh, industry professionals to say, which ones do you think are important and what is important for, for uh, bachelors and for uh, master students? Yeah. So... One of the things that uh, we really found was that there is a, a gap in, in what industry w wants and, uh, and, and students think they need. Mm. Also, students also think they're perfect, by the way. That was probably one of the <laughs> ones, most fun parts we asked. We, said, we asked all first-year students, which skills do you still, you still need to learn? And yeah. <laughs> they didn't think they needed to learn that much. They were three <laughs> weeks into their first year of aerospace. Their bachelor yeah. students, three weeks old, so to speak. No, no, we know we're perfect. Okay, right. So first skill to learn, self-reflection. The other thing was that it really helped that we have detailed descriptions. That got the discussion going a lot more. Mm. And one of the things that we saw was that even though the, everyone could use the instrument, there were very different learning outcomes that teachers thought were important than industry thought was important. Things like idea implementation and stakeholder management and stuff were considered much less important by uh, industry and, and they didn't require lower mastery levels. Uh, negotiating skills, for instance, as well. Mm. But uh, at the same time, communication is always uh, seen as really important. And one of the things that industry really required high mastery levels in was listening skills. Yeah. Those are some of the things that we thought was, was, were really interesting in, in looking at this. So one of the key ones that came out is actively seeking learning. Okay. That's one of the things I thought was really important important so when a student comes out that they are aware that they don't know everything yet mm. and that's that's of course really contradictory because they've just got their diploma and they're an engineer so, <laughs> yeah yeah what do you mean i don't know everything yet what did i just spend my <laughs> oh, yeah. actually yeah your life's just starting this is yeah. the foundation and i think that's something also something that that we we need to make sure that our students are aware of mm. and the other thing that was really funny was there were things that were important at bachelor graduate level, but no longer important at master graduate level. Mm. We didn't investigate this further, but our presumption was that they assumed that those were by then mastered. 
and mm. therefore are not as important anymore because they were assumed master. So from what you're saying, Gillian, uh, it seems to me that um, some of these foundational communication skills that we, we described before are foundational and in, perhaps we need to get them to be a particular level of mastery before we tackle some of these other transversal competencies that the industry requires. Yeah, I think so. And I, I also think it really do, uh, it's based both on uh, what the student already has in yeah. in their own luggage, in their own backpack, and, and also what, what we can offer as an institute. But we should really focus, uh, especially in, in the undergraduate uh, degrees, uh, on, on a certain basics that students may rely on that we train them in that or make them aware of. And for some, that training will be superfluous, but most certainly not for all. Yeah. So you found out um, about all these different competencies and what industry and students and um, educators thought of them. But once you did that, how were you able to sort of develop effective activities to allow engineering students to practice and reflect on their communication competencies? I and mean, can you give us an example of a specific teaching intervention? Yeah. So, so one of the reasons I did this is I'm myself a lecturer. So for mm -hmm. me, it's really important that my uh, research uh, also uh, means something. It mm -hmm. shouldn't just be telling other people and waving my finger what to do. So <laughs> what we looked at was how do you then do this? So I have a background in scouting. I used to be a scout leader. And mm -hmm. you do all these little communication games when you do team building. And one of them that many of us probably also played in schools uh, is a, a game known in English as Chinese Whispers. And I think in American, it's called uh, Telephone. Mm -hmm. So um, I think in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion, I, I prefer to now use the term telephone as opposed to Chinese Whispers. Uh, sure. But the, the idea being is that uh, one child whispers something in the ear of the next child and that goes around the whole circle until you get to the other end. And then you hope that the same message is still there. Mm -hmm. And as we've all experienced, that is often not the case. <laughs> so maybe that's not the game you want to play with engineering students. A little bit too immature. <laughs> so Mariana came up with a slightly different version of it. Engineers also need to draw to mm -hmm. be able to make their point across. She asked students to communicate a drawing that she gave them mm -hmm. to a second group of students who then had to describe to a third group of students what they had to draw. And her initial was a black and white picture. You have to keep it simple of a, a cow in a field. Mm -hmm. And we also did this uh, workshop with uh, members of staff, uh, but we also did it with lots of students in different universities, in four or five different universities across four countries. So a rather international form of doing this. And you get the most hilarious uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, pictures. Uh, so Mariana uh, is Portuguese by background. So her cow was a black cow with horns like you see on some of the port bottles. Mm -hmm. The Dutch students drew a Frisian cow, which is white with black spots. Mm -hmm. Because somewhere in the communication, they had heard they had to draw a cow. And this is also where you see the difference in communication. Uh, visualize a cow, people who are listening. What, what is it that you think it looks like? So that was really funny. But so why this exercise and how did that fit to the course? 
It was part of a course in forensic engineering where students learn how uh, air accidents are investigated. And when you go as a safety investigator to a scene, you need to talk to people. And they need to give you the information because the accident or incident happened before you arrived. Mm. But they really need to learn how to listen. So after this exercise, which made them aware of how they had to listen better and ask the right questions and adapt, they were then given the opportunity to interview some real life people in an, mm-hmm. for some uh, scene. And we use our university's test pilots, for instance, to, uh, uh, to act as the pilot of the incident. And finally, at the final exam, uh, where my colleagues uh, create an accident scene for the students to investigate, there are also always witnesses walking around. And then they have to do it for real in the exam. So that that is why it's the first time to make them aware. Because if you wait with them to make them aware of their listening skills in the first interview, they will not get out of the interview what they need to do. Mm-hmm. They, they, they miss that they haven't listened. Yeah. So this way we can stack the different communication skills on top of each other. Asking the right questions can then be the focus in the interview as opposed to also having to realize that you have to learn how to listen. Yeah. During this work, were you able to determine any sort of key features of, of effective or ineffective communication? Uh, oh, yeah. You, you, get, you get the most uh, fun, uh, fun things like um, you never said it was black. You never said, but it's like, yeah, but you had to ask the questions. Oh, yeah. So they, <laughs> they really had to also learn how to reflect on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that really helped them get going. So it's also really important to set rules in such games. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, the easiest is to just show the picture. But, but if you think of it as a, in, in the context of the course, the air crash investigation, there was no picture of when the crash happened. All you have is people's observations or people's actions in the moment. Uh, and that's very often with all their view and their biases and their lenses. So students also really came aware of that there is such a thing as lens and bias with which we look at things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how hard it was that they had to uh, not only listen, they also had to manage, like, not make assumptions, but also when are they going to ask the next question? Mm-hmm. You only have a limited amount of time to talk to a person. You have to deal with the surroundings. So, yeah, that, that really gave a really good result. But what we also wanted to know was, hey, this is just a fun activity. Does it matter? So we went back a year later and found a group of students still around because that's always a challenge and asked them if we could talk to them again and we Mm -hmm. took them back to their interview and and this was i thought was really great is many of them still remembered the game and they pretended they they learned a lot from that small experience they were confronted with their own shortcomings realized they needed to adapt and Mm -hmm. and made adaptations and it made them more prepared so this one-hour activity made a difference. Yeah, it's a small intervention, but sort of allowed the students to draw parallels with what they might do in engineering work, I guess. But what I would add is it's important that you think this through. So uh, even though uh, anyone can put in an activity, 
where does it fit in the learning line of your course? Mm-hmm. What is the outcome that you're looking to train? I think mm-hmm. it's also very important that you make students aware that they need to train this. Mm-hmm. So when you do skills in your course, make sure you mention that. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's my other point. So it has to be aligned within your course uh, yeah. in terms of the, the big uh, alignment of a course where the learning objectives, the teaching activities and the assessment activities are aligned. That's what you have to be very careful of. But also make sure that it's, students are aware. Because very often we think we train skills, but we don't tell the students. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. we, we also asked our staff, which tra- skills do you train in your courses? And the list that came back was huge. Yeah. However, if you look at the course descriptions, they weren't in there. So when you were doing this kind of um, intervention, was there any particular barriers you faced, um, I guess, in terms of either students or staff um, or any sort of practical barriers to doing this kind of work? I think I got really lucky. Um, I had some great <laughs> colleagues who were allowing me to tinker in their course. Um, mm-hmm. And also because they really wanted to fix the issue they had initially they just had the students directly interview people uh, uh, the PhD students pretending to be people from the accident and Mm -hmm. they didn't get enough out of that so by having the listening exercise before it made the students prepare for the interview better and work their way through better we got lucky there Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you do need yeah you need a room that's big enough uh, mm-hmm. you know because students need to be able to sit apart because one can talk to the other at times yeah uh, you need to uh, not be afraid to have a, a noisy messy classroom and you need uh, extra help but it's it, it it's not a huge effort but the payback is enormous. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gillian. It's been a really fun episode. Um, I'm just wondering before you go, whether you'd be able to give us a sort of single takeaway or advice to our listeners. Oh, I think my my advice to anyone would be, don't be afraid to try. You don't Mm -hmm. have to get it right the first time around and look what's already out there. Um, uh, This activity is also on the Open Courseware page of TU Delft, for instance, so we can share it with other people. And look for things outside your context. This was a game that primary school children play. So go out there, experiment, do what we ask our students to do, uh, and have fun. Uh, That's, I think, is probably the best motivation to get the best possible result. Thank you, Gillian. We'll make sure that that link um, is available to our listeners in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate the time. Thanks, Gillian. Thank you for having me. Bye. So, Neil, um, I'm always really interested in communication. I think it's really important. So I was, I was looking forward to this and especially listening skills. I think we sort of don't consider these as much as, mm. as we should. And also, like, I'm not very creative generally. So I think, mm. you know, I was I was quite looking forward to being exposed to sort of funner ways to teach communication yeah. skills. I guess like the key thing that I sort of take away from this is thinking about how we can really embed communication in quite an authentic way. So sometimes I do find that in my teaching, it's sort of, you know, not really embedded like properly into the module. Whereas Gillian gave us quite a clear example of like where communication is important within engineering with her sort yeah. of crash plane scenario. Um, 
And I think that's really given me something to think about, about how I can embed more effectively. So what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I enjoyed the conversation with Gillian as well. And very some very creative ideas there. Mm. Um, I remember during the discussion, actually, um, that one point that we sort of established was the importance of kind of the sort of foundation or competences in communication mm-hmm. before we tackle some of these sort of higher order skills. And I think sometimes we dash to tackle the higher order skills to our detriment. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe we're trying to run before we can walk. So, I mean, after that recording, I went back to basics and I thought about, you know, what are the sort of actionable tools and techniques mm-hmm. to help students with their communication? And there's a few out there that I've, that I've started looking at, you know, structuring arguments using the Tormin method, mm-hmm. Rosenberg's nonviolent communication strategies for conflict resolution and so on. My challenge really to take away is just to try to be as creative as um, Gillian and, and kind of embed <laughs> these across the curriculum. So, yeah, it was a really interesting chat. So thank you for joining us again today for this episode. If you would like more detail about Gillian's sort of approach, then we've provided a link to all the resources to sort of run this activity yourself in the show notes. So go and check them out and you can get the slides and things that help with this activity. Again, as normal, if you would like to feature on future episodes of the podcast, then please do get in touch. We're always looking um, for guests. Okay, thanks for listening again, everybody. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Bye.